It's time with Pastor Mike Kessler starts now. This is It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN International, featuring Pastor Mike Kessler, Senior Pastor at the River. Today, Pastor Mike is going to be teaching in the book of 1 Samuel. Located way back in the Old Testament, the books of 1 and 2 Samuel are the legacy that reveals the change from God-appointed judges over the people to the kingdom era, where the Jews are ruled over by a king both a departure from God's ways and a foreshadow of God's ways. With our study on the book of 1 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike. Now, we find that uh, Jonathan basically says goodbye to uh, David because, again, he says, my dad's going to kill you. They had made a covenant one to another to watch over uh, one another's relatives for uh, the rest of their lives. We find this in the last uh, verse of chapter 20. Now going into chapter 21, we find, it says, Now David came to Nob. Now this is to the south of Jerusalem, uh, where the priests live. And Ahimelech, the priest, Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? Now again, the truth is because he's running for his life from Saul. Again, Jonathan had informed him that my dad's going to kill you. Get out of Dodge. And so they're running. He's running. And so it says that David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, this is interesting here because David lies to the priest. Now, uh, initially, we might say, well, in the condition of life and death, it, it's all right. Well, we know that David is scared for his life. David, later on, as we'll read, blames himself for the direct result of this lie. This lie, and this is why lying is wrong, it always has its effects uh, on others. And so he says, now, therefore, David says, What have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread if the young men have had at least kept themselves from women. Now, again, this was unlawful for the commoner to eat. This bread was reserved for the priests. And we remember that Jesus actually in the gospel spoke of when David ate the holy bread, Uh, that God didn't kill him. And it's because human need dictated that which was above the law. And so um, uh, he tells him, what do you have? And he says, well, I've got five loaves uh, or whatever you have. And the priest answered David and said, there is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. And if the young men have kept themselves at least from women, in other words, they weren't defiled by uh, these kinds of things. And so David answered the priest and said to him, truly, Women have been kept from us for about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was sanctified in the vessel this day. Now, actually, there wasn't five men with David. Uh, David didn't have anybody with him. He was by himself. And uh, he was running again for his life. So the priest gave him 
holy bread, and there was no bread there but the showbread which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required such haste. Now again, we find David just lying on top of a lie on top of a lie here. Now it's also noteworthy that there's this Edomite there named Doeg. Now Doeg, we'll find out, becomes basically an informer to Saul to let him know that David had been there talking to Ahimelech. And because he was there in their presence, notice it says, the priest said, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, it's here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Now probably it was in a scabbard of some type. If you will take that, take it, for there is none other uh, except that one. And David said, there is none like it, give it to me. And it is true, there was none like it. We remember this um, sword was Goliath. Goliath was their champion. We remember that there was a standoff between the Philistines and the children of Israel. And we remember Goliath was challenging the children of Israel, saying, you send your champion out, and we'll duel it out. And if I win, you're our servants. And if he wins, we'll be yours. And we remember nobody from the, from the uh, camp of Israel would go out to meet Goliath until David heard this man reviling the armies of Israel and of God. And so David is the one that went out and tried to, or maybe I should say, David is the one that went out to meet Goliath. Um, Saul tried to help him by putting on uh, his armor. Not even Saul would go out. Uh, and we remember that, of course, it didn't fit. You can't wear somebody else's armament. Uh, and we remember that David couldn't even move uh, in that coat of mail and uh, the helmet and all the stuff. So he took all that stuff off and just went out there with the Lord and his slingshot and uh, brought Goliath down. Well, we remember here that David cuts off Goliath's head with Goliath's own sword. David didn't come out with a sword. He only came out with a slingshot. And uh, no doubt that there's a possibility that uh, maybe Saul was just knocked out because the, song, the Bible says the stone sunk in between his eyes, Goliath's eyes, and probably there was just that little band uh, where, Saul, where Goliath's eyes were. Um, all I can say is God was a great shot and uh, sunk it into Goliath's head. Goliath falls down and then David uses Goliath's own sword to cut his head off. Well, uh, David was not so impressed with the armament as he was with the victory that God gave him. So he took the sword and he it was actually placed in the temple there where Ahimelech was. So David gets this. Now, one of the things that the Philistines were skilled in was metalworking. They, they had an, uh, an advantage over all the other nations is that they knew how to sharpen iron. They knew how to harden iron. And so because of this, this is why David makes that remark, there's none like it. There's not, because probably it was tempered steel. It was made very skillfully. And after all, it was for their war hero, you might say, Goliath. And so here now it's in David's hands. Now this, this gets into a little bit more as we'll move along here because of, of, uh, this sword. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this. So David, uh, arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Now Gath 
is one of the principal cities of the Philistines. David now goes to Gath for refuge. He's a wanted man in Israel. Uh, Saul's after him. And so he goes to basically the enemy to seek refuge. Now, the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him one to another uh, in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And they are us. He's talking about the ten thousands. Those were basically speaking of Philistines. They said, isn't this David, uh, the king of the land? I mean, he's the one that's gained the respect of the whole nation. Now, you got to remember this. David goes to the land of the Philistines carrying a sword that he cut their champion's head off with. Does anything seem strange about this picture? I I mean, that's like, you you know, if you're trying to go someplace, you'd kind of want to like wear a beard, go incognito. You know, hey, nobody knows who I am. No one knows my name. Nobody asks. Instead, he comes strolling into town with Goliath's sword And as David said, there is none like it. And I'm sure that when he walked in there, everyone goes, whoa, we remember that sword. That was Goliath's. And isn't this David? And we remember the uh, Jerusalem top 40. They were singing his song. (laughs) Saul killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And those ten thousands again were us. Now David took these words to heart. And he was very much afraid of Asha's king of Gath. Uh, the thing is, he recognized he was found out. Now, again, friends, um, what you do for God is known by others. And uh, sometimes you may even be a little scared of how God's used you. But never, no mind, because God still is uh, in control. Verse 13, though, we find David doing something very strange. Here was this great man of faith. And, and I, I see a couple of things here uh, in chapter 21. David having to rely on his own ways of doing things. David was no stranger to God. We remember that David uh, loved the Lord and that's why Samuel sought him out and anointed him king over Israel while he was yet uh, probably a young teenager. And yet we find now David lying to the priests repetitively Now we find him seeking refuge in the camp of the Philistines, whom he killed their champion. And we also find now that David is become fearful of all these things. It it tells me something interesting about our relationship with God. I think there's times that all of us have great moments with the Lord of great power and understanding and might. And we are at that place in our lives where we know that God can do anything. And then it appears to me that even in the best of men, and what God has to say about David is that he was a man after his own heart, yet we find in all of this that David has his lapses of faith as well. Where he turns to lying, he turns to the enemy, and he's engulfed by fear to save his own life. It's interesting to me that God had anointed him king over Israel And yet we find in David, we still find the human frailties and the flaws that, friends, I honestly believe we find in all of us. I think a lot of times we put people in the Bible on pedestals and say, well, you know, I wish. 
I was as spiritual as some of those guys in the Old Testament whom God used in a great and mighty way. And then I begin to really zoom up close and I don't know very many of you that go around lying to priests and I don't know very many of you that go trying to seek refuge uh, in the enemy's camp and completely engulfed by fear to change behavior. Notice the next verse here. So he changed, verse 13, his behavior before them, fringed madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let saliva fall down his beard. (laughs) He just acted like he lost his mind. Um, The reason why David, I think, didn't know what else to do. Um, you see, again, friends, I, I believe that God allows things to come into our life to reveal character flaws in us so God can deal with those things. Now, somebody might look at this, and you might even find yourself here in chapter 21, maybe, in one way or another. Somebody might say, well, David was on a big-time backslide, wasn't he? Or was it that David was still David, But God allowed difficulty to come into David's life to reveal to him where his weaknesses were so God then could strengthen those areas for later on in his life. Oftentimes we'll look at things and you'll say, well, God, I'm your child. Why are you allowing this to happen to me? I I mean, I'm the one that walked with you. Look at the successes that I've had in my life. Look at the Goliaths that I have killed. Look at the giant's heads that I've cut off. And yet, we find David now in a different area of his life in which God presses him. And what is interesting to me here is that in all the successes that David had in knowing God and the successes physically that God had given him, Yet we find David now turning to the old way of trying to save himself. So he changed his behavior before them, acted on madness in their hands and scratched on the doors. Now you got to picture this. He's scratching on the walls and acting like he's totally flipped out. Notice what Asius, the king of Gath, said. Then Asius said to his servants, Look, You see this man insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Friends, this is interesting. The king of Asius saw that it was an act. He said to play the madman. You can see he's insane, but he's play acting. He saw through it, interestingly enough. He said that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence. Shall this fellow come into my house? (laughs) No way. Now, uh, it is interesting because, again, here's this king who sees David, who killed their, their champion, now acting crazy. He doesn't buy it. He sees through it, but he's not coming into my house. And notice it says, therefore David, verse 1 of chapter 22, David therefore departs from there and escaped to the cave of Abdullam. And when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Um, They no doubt saw the inconsistencies uh, in Saul's reign. They knew their son, their brother was in trouble. And so they packed it up and they moved down to 
uh, come to David's assistance, interestingly enough. Verse 2, And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And he was he became captain over them, and there was about 400 men with him. So it seemed that everybody who had something wrong with them aligned themselves with David. And there was about 400 of them that became David's mighty men. Now, I look at this interestingly enough that even though David had done some things, as we find in chapter 21, that were at very best wrong, we find that David did not, or God did not abandon David. And friends, I think this is really important because if God abandoned you every time you did something wrong, nobody would have God around very much. And if God only used you when you were walking with him 100%, nothing for the kingdom would ever be done on this planet. Now, I know there's a lot of really self-righteous people who think that they are uh, they walk hand in hand with God. But you know, the Bible, interestingly enough, says there is none righteous, no, not one. And that goes for the Pope. Doesn't matter. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. And I think that's really an important thing that we always need to remember because within man, there is that part of us that wants to exalt a man. We find it in the early church. We find it today. We find it with cult leaders and group leaders. These things always happen because people would rather turn to a man or a woman than to God in their times of need. And so we find here interesting uh, that David, uh, running from God, or maybe I should say running from Saul, but indirectly he, uh, as we see in chapter 21 here, had fairly well abandoned anything that resembled any principles of a relationship with God. Again, lying to the priest, um, uh, running and hiding with the enemy, uh, filled with fear and acting like a madman. Um, Now we find him with people gathering around him. It tells me a lot about the mercy and tells me about the love of God. Because a lot of times we think that God is only going to be with me when I'm walking with him 100%. We probably heard that. I probably even taught that. But you know, as I really study the scripture, I find that when you belong to God, God continues to work with you through this whole life. And that's good news to me. Because again, even though people don't always understand what's going on in your life, God does, and God is the one that you have to ultimately answer to. So he tells us, Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know that God, what God will do for me. It is interesting that in spite of David's behavior, he still was very much aware of God's presence in his life. Now, friends, I, I don't know about you, but I think this is why we have a lot of trouble a lot of times with the once saved, always saved kind of mentality or whatever. I think even people that are backslid know the presence of God. I, I think they still understand that God somehow got his hand in their life somehow. Now, I think when a person has rejected God, said, God, get out of my life. I don't have anything to do with you. And I think that even when we say that, I don't think God gives up on us. I think God continues to this. But I think if you stay in that unrepented state and that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit trying to get you to come back to the Lord, I think if you die in that condition, I think that's the unpardonable sin personally. 
because we know it's by the Holy Spirit that we're convicted of our sin, and that's why we cry out to Jesus. But in this particular case, we find a person that wasn't really walking right with the Lord, filled with fear uh, and all these different issues. And yet what is noteworthy to me here is that he recognized that God was still going to do something in his life. Now, I think that's pretty impressive to know that in spite of his things that he's done wrong, God was still active in him. Now, the reason why he moved his mother and his father to Moab, which was out of the territory of Israel, which was out of Saul's domain, is so that Saul, out of vengeance, wouldn't come and kill Jesse and his mom, his father and his mom. And so he put them in, uh, because when they came out to meet him, they were declaring their allegiance to him. But that still never, nevertheless would not have necessarily been, because I think they knew when David was on the run that they would be next. And this is very common for kings to do this, is what they would do is if you, had a, if you were rebellious, they would round up your whole family and kill all of you. And this is something that we find over and over again now in these horror stories that are coming out of Iraq with what Saddam Hussein was doing. And so Saul, no doubt was after them as well. And so they came to David. David puts them away and keeps them safe in Moab until he knew exactly what God was going to do for me. Interesting. Verse 4. So he brought them before the king of Moab and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Speaking of the cave. Uh, This was a place where David uh, hid out, uh, hid from... Uh, a Saul and his army. Then the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. This is interesting again, because we find here that God was still directing David. Now, a lot of times we would think after all these rascal things he did in chapter 21, well, if I would God, I would never talk to him ever again. Isn't it great to know that God's love for us is greater than what other people think? I think it's pretty amazing. So about the time you think God's given up on you because of something you did, always remember this, God ain't done with you yet. So, the prophet said to him, don't stay here. Verse 6, when Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, now, now the reason why and the way they got discovered is this, You don't just hide 600 dudes or 400 guys. You know, what's that? Oh, there's nothing. Those are trees. You know, no, you got 400 guys. And I don't know if you've ever been around guys. They eat. And most of them don't like to eat stuff raw. So possibly from the fires of them cooking, smoke by day, Light by night, by the fires, whatever, however, Saul discovered them. Now Saul was staying in Gibbeth under a Tribuneth tree in Ramah. And his spear was in his hand and all of his servants were standing about him. The reason the spear was in his hand is he was there to do business. He was there to kill David. And I think it's interesting here that he wasn't just commissioning that for his army to kill David. He himself had his spear in his hand, and I believe this is one of the reasons why. May very well have been the same spear that he chucked at David while David was playing the harp, trying to soothe that evil spirit that Saul encouraged to come into his life. If you've missed any part of today's episode, I'd like to invite you to grab the free podcast of its time, 
by hopping on the iTunes store and downloading your own copy. If you like having the disc, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order for First Samuel. From Pastor Mike, myself, and all of us here at the River, thanks for tuning in to It's Time. <laughs>